Alien Chronicles, Part 1, The Golden One. This is the story of the time before. A time when the Empire of the V stretched across the galaxy. They say the Vis Empire was so vast that even starlight could not pass beyond its borders. And it was true. Jason and this is Gabe and I know everybody out there we've all got Andor fever we're all going crazy every week with every incredible episode of Andor we've got Andor fever and moth madness we got it all we got all the symptoms we're in the mothma of madness it's mon mothma month it's everything man mon mothma it's it's oh yeah but we can't we can't get to that yet because there's something else going on. This week, we are talking about something extremely important. The Alien Exodus, Star Wars novel, trilogy of novels that never happened. What is Alien Exodus? What could have been Alien Exodus? What still is Alien Exodus? It's one of the most crazy things that was ever pitched that almost happened in the world of Star Wars literature. Well, and it's kind of been right here in front of everyone all this time, and just no one ever thinks to look for it. And as we explore the legend and mythic status of Alien Exodus, it's going to sound really crazy, but really, it's not really crazy. It's a fascinating, fascinating story that I cannot wait to dive into. But before that, the seasons are changing the leaves are changing. It's getting colder. It's not September anymore. Now, if you look at the calendar, folks, it's October. And that only means one thing. It's an Oktoberfest. <laughs> Here we are, 
Snoketoberfest. We have no idea. How many years have we been doing Snoketoberfest? We, we don't know. We don't know. It's like a circle. It has no beginning. It has no end. It's like poetry. It rhymes. Whatever you want to say. Snoketoberfest, it's always been here. Like, kind of every month is Snoketoberfest in a way. Yeah, it's, it's, it's always been here just waiting to be discovered. And for whatever reason, the month of October is when we decide to discover it. And we're rediscovering it this year because why wouldn't we? <laughs> I think Snoke would like the fall. Snoke seems like a fall dude. You know, there's the chill in the air, long walks in the forest, watching the leaves fall in his warm golden robe. Snoke seems like like an apple cider, apple orchard kind of kind of person. He you don't get like summer vibes from Snoke or spring vibes. Like Snoke would hate flowers blooming. That would make him like physically angry. When he's so big, he can pluck the the ripest apples from the top of the tree. I would love to go through an apple orchard, yeah, with Snoke. He has, like, holes in his neck. If he's drinking, like, cider, would it just, like, pour out of his neck? Maybe, maybe. I've thought way too much about Snoke eating and how gross that would be. Well, maybe that's he uses the force, so there's, like, you can see the food, like, going through the holes, and then the force just, like, keeps it in the tube. His weird dark side clone powers to eat hot dog. Yeah, that's why all the other ones died, because they didn't have enough power to eat food. (laughs) To eat snacks. Mini tacos. All tacos are mini tacos for Snoke. (laughs) Like a giant Chipotle burrito is like a taquito for him. Just one little bite. (laughs) And he just grosses people out. He just stuffs it in the hole in his neck. (laughs) Just chugging apple cider. So, Snoketoberfest people, here we go. We've done lines, we've done words. Last year we did Snoke Slow Down, which was even more terrifying. We did Snoke Sped Up. This year, it's 2022. It's a whole it's a whole new thing for everybody, right? What you might be saying, what's left for Snoketoberfest? Well, there's more to Snoke than words. Snoke is a multi-layered person. Yes, there are more sounds that come out of Snoke than just words. And it's Snoke. He's giant. He's crazy. He's spooky. And he makes some wonderful sounds. So this year in Snoketoberfest, we are celebrating the sounds of Snoke, the sounds that come out of his mouth that are not words. And for this first week of Snoketoberfest, we are shining a spotlight on the moment in The Last Jedi. And this, this it's a great moment. when The line is, when I found you, I saw what all masters live to see. But within that line is a very special Snoke moment. So why don't we shine a little spotlight on this Snoke moment for week one of Snoketoberfest 2022. I think I'm going to go put a warm sweater on right now just to, just to get in the mood. Since that sound happened, more leaves have started to fall outside. More pumpkins are out places. I had a cold 
glass of apple cider on my desk, and now it's a warm mug of spiced cider just from just from that Snoke magic with a cinnamon stick in it. Little little known Snoke secret: he puts a little cinnamon stick in everything. <laughs> he just he just shoves it down that hole in his throat. <laughs> he tries to let Kylo Ren lick it, and then he snatches it away really fast. Yeah. But I but I wanted a taste. My cinnamon stick. Snoked over fest. Nearing their destination of Alderaan. Stand by, Chewie. Here we go. Cut in the sublight engines. Han Solo brings the Millennium Falcon out of hyperdrive. But Alderaan is gone. And our heroes are being slowly drawn toward the Death Star. Is there no hope? Are they doomed before they even begin? Don't miss the next harrowing commercial for Star Wars. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Okay, so Alien Exodus. So kind of like we were talking about at the beginning of the episode... We hadn't even really, I, I didn't even know about Alien Exodus until fairly, fairly recently. No, I'm in the same boat. I didn't know anything about it until you were like, hey, have you ever seen this? <laughs> yeah. Brandon from Talking Bay 94 brought it to my attention. He's just like, hey, when are you guys going to do an episode about Alien Exodus? And I was like, what's that? And then I did a little research and I was like, we got to fast track this. <laughs> I know there's a lot going on, but we've got to somehow fit in Alien Exodus so it doesn't get lost in the shelf. Because literally when I, when I started doing research on it, I got obsessed with it. As you do. <laughs> <laughs> no, nothing new. <laughs> the basics for people. What is Alien Exodus? Before we start diving into the deep, deep, rich history on how this all came to be and the details of the story and everything. First thing is we need to go back in time to 1994 and Star Wars in general in 1994, which we've talked about a lot in the past of the very weird time. It's after the original trilogy. It's before the special editions. It's kind of, it's a weird time for Star Wars. It really is because it it's after... The Timothy Zahn trilogy, but also it was the end of one era and the beginning of another. Because during this time, we were almost kind of saying goodbye to the dark, the dark times, the post original trilogy, and then the kind of rebirth in EU. Because in the summer of '94, that's when Doug Chang begins working on episode one. Star Wars Insider started coming out. It wasn't the Lucasfilm fan club anymore. It was like, no, Star Wars Insider, which even that was a big deal. It's like, oh my God, like this magazine is just all about Star Wars now. And during this time, in like summer of 1994, there's a brainstorming session with Lucasfilm, LucasArts, Bantam Books, and author Steve Perry that eventually will become 1996's Shadows of the Empire, this huge multimedia event that was like a video game and a soundtrack and a book and all kinds of stuff, comics. November 1st, 1994, Lucas begins writing episode one after dropping his kids off at school. Go that way. This is the 1st of November. 
1994. Today is my first day of writing the new Star Wars series. I took my kids to school this morning. Uh, my oldest daughter was sick all night. I got no sleep whatsoever. I have beautiful pristine yellow tablets ready to go. Stretch blocks, pencils. I'm all set. All I need is an idea. November 3rd through the 4th, and this information is all from the fantastic Star Wars Year by Year book by Daniel Wallace and Ryder Windham. More than 50 Star Wars licensees and international agents converge at Skywalker Ranch for the first ever Star Wars Summit, a two-day conference held in the technical building at the ranch to talk about Lucas's, Lucasfilm's future plans with Star Wars, which, oh my God, to be a fly on the wall <laughs> that in November 1994. But from this comes a lot of things, comes the... The new, the power of the force toys that came out the next year, you know, and of course we know like it never stops. It go that goes right into the special editions and eventually the prequels and the the world we live in now. But also from this comes Ace Books, which was not publishing Star Wars books at that time, but Ace kind of wanted a piece of that sweet sweet Star Wars pie. They were trying to negotiate some kind of deal to do Star Wars books. And Star Wars books at that time were with Bantam Books. So Ace Books reached out to author Robert Sawyer, who had worked with them in the past, and had discussed with him working on a pitch for a trilogy of Star Wars novels based on kind of the backstories of the Star Wars creatures. So the year before, in 1993, there was like this coffee table-sized book called The Monsters and Aliens from George Lucas, which I, I remember always seeing this book in like discount book things and being like, what is, what is this? Like, that, is that a Star Wars book? What, is that a Gamorrean guard on the cover? What is this? But that book was written by Bob Corral, who wrote our dearly beloved The Ewok Adventure Caravan of Courage. So, guy knows what he's doing. <laughs> so, this book was kind of just like this goofy kind of thing of, here's a bunch of aliens from the Star Wars movies and some concept art from the original trilogy of stuff that never got made with kind of like goofy little stories about like all these aliens and stuff. And the idea was like, kind of let's make a trilogy of books kind of loosely based on these aliens from Star Wars. Yeah, and if, you know, if you put yourself back in the early 90s, 94, there wasn't a lot of backstory, official backstory and information on all these creatures. So the idea of of novels kind of just delving into where these creatures came from, what are they like, seemed like a good idea, seemed like a, a solid plan. There was the Star Wars Encyclopedia. There was all the stuff West End was doing with the role-playing games. That had a lot of stuff. But those were not things that were read by a ton of people. That was that was kind of a very specialized thing. And I don't blame kind of being like, let's do a trilogy of books. Like, look at the Thrawn novels. Look at how successful those were. Let's do that again, but like about aliens. So then Ace Books 
reached out to sci-fi author Robert J. Sawyer, who Gabe, you had the opportunity to talk to this week. Yes, I was able to get a hold of Robert Sawyer himself and ask him some questions about Alien Exodus, and he was generous enough to answer those questions. So here's Robert Sawyer kind of talking about this whole thing, how he was approached by Ace, the whole story and how this whole thing started rolling from his perspective. Yeah, I was uh, at this late stage, I got uh, 24 novels out. But back then, I had just finished, um, I guess, a trilogy for Ace Science Fiction, which is now a Penguin Random House imprint. And they approached me. They had gone, they'd been going back and forth with Lucasfilm, you know, the official uh, Star Wars tie-in books, the uh, original Star Wars novel putatively by George Lucas, but really ghostwritten by Alan Dean Foster. And Alan Dean Foster's uh, own original Star Wars novel, Splinter, The Mind's Eye, were uh, published by Del Rey. Now, ironically, Random House has merged with Penguin, and they're all one big happy family now. But at the time, they were not. They were competitors. So they had approached George Lucas's company, Lucasfilm, and said, look, what license can we get here? And Lucasfilm came back with this notion. They had the uh, the title George Lucas's Monsters and Aliens. And it was pitched to me by an editor at Ace Science Fiction. They said, because I had just done a trilogy about alien beings. I was known as a guy who could do alien biology, alien psychology, alien sociology. Uh, hey, how would you like to write the backstories for the alien races that we saw in Star Wars, in particular, in the cantina sequence, you know, and, and in and around. In other words, not, uh, you know, not uh, the Wookiees, not the foregrounded races, but the background races. And I thought, yeah, that's a great challenge. I would love to do that. But when you were talking to him, right, he was kind of saying that he didn't want to be known as an author that just did, like, licensed kind of stuff, like stuff based on other people's properties. But... Right. There was something about this concept that made him change his mind. I was building a career then. I've built one now. I'm a Hugo and Nebula Award winning novelist. I've had a fine career. But at the outset, I was trying to build my own name. Uh, we didn't use the phrase in terms of authors back uh, in the early 90s. But everybody talks about today, your author branding. Who are you? And I wanted to be a guy who was known for my original work, not known as, you know, because let's face it, right? If I were to name 20 different Star Wars novels for you. You, now you might be an expert, Gabe, but most people would have a hard time saying, okay, which was Alan Dean Foster, which was Kevin J. Anderson, which was Dave Wolverton, which was, uh, you know, on and on and on. But I wanted to be a guy who had 20, or as I say now, 24 books, where everybody says, oh, yeah, that's a Robert J. Sawyer, that's a Robert J. Sawyer, that's a Robert J. Sawyer, right? I wanted to be my own brand. Because as I said, they originally offered me this really cool thing to write about uh, you know, um, the Gamorians and, uh, and the Ortolans and the Twi'leks, uh, you know, all these, these species that we had seen. And uh, that sounded very intriguing because that would be, uh, you know, this is early on before there were guidebooks to the aliens of the Lucasfilm universe. I would get to fill in what hopefully would become canonical details. 
and he was kind of able to just go right. He, he t- when you were talking to him, he was saying how he had almost no input from Lucasfilm whatsoever. Like he was talking to like his agent who was talking to Ace Books, and it was just kind of like just go, just write, just. <laughs> Backstories on aliens go. And and remember, this is way back early in the history of Star Wars. Nobody had yeah. worked out uh, the details of what planet these aliens were from that we had briefly glimpsed uh, in the first three films. You know, nobody knew why Jabba the Hutt looked like a giant slug. Nobody knew, uh, you know, um, any of these details. And I thought that would be fun. But no, they gave me no feedback except the original carte blanche, look at the film, spot the aliens you like uh, in the background and, uh, and figure out why they look the way they did, you know, what evolutionary uh, uh, history might result in them having, uh, you know, uh, the tails on their heads as toilets do and so forth, whatever, right. Feeling all, figuring all that out. That sounded really appealing to me. So let's talk about what he wrote, what he actually wrote. To say it's wild <laughs> is putting it mildly. It would have been probably the most insane Star Wars book ever written. What's what's the basics of the story, the outline for Alien Exodus? Yeah, so the outline of the story, which is on the internet for anyone to read, it has been there since 1995, just waiting to be discovered is the the story's kind of divided into two sections that are intertwined and there's the the alien exodus which is kind of the the story as it's happening and then there is a book that is read in the story called the human exodus that kind of gives some some backstory but on the alien exodus part it is on the planet for hillnor and there are these creatures called the varlians who are giant insect people, I guess three times as big as a human. They're like the size of Snoke. And they rule over this planet of slaves. And the slaves are, you know, all your favorite Star Wars creatures, the Bith, Athorians, Kubas, Ortolans, Kidonax, Twi'leks, Mon Calamari, and Sullistans, uh, in addition to humans. And they're kind of controlled by... Uh, Gamorian guards and Rodians who are like the masters of the Gamorian. So it's like all, all the creatures are there and there's this whole kind of slave planet drama going on. And we kind of focus on one human in particular as like our main character. Yeah, the main character is called Cosmo Hender. Brilliant name. And he has uh, his his mate, Sally, who's pregnant. And one of the things that it mentions about Cosmo is he's like he's in his he's kind of middle aged, but he doesn't really remember how old he is. He's been a slave so long. Basically, it starts with there's a secret meeting uh, like every full moon where all the leaders of each of the alien races uh, of the slaves like sneak out and meet to kind of you know, plot their future and try to figure out how to escape. And the story's kind of set in motion when a, uh, a Gamorrean guard sees uh, Jack's hobo, who is the, the Ortolan uh, slave leader and Cosmo has to intervene to save him. And they kill this Gamorrean guard and they hide the body. And that kind of sets uh, the wheels in motion for this whole epic, epic story. 
And within this epic story, too, there's also pretty much the origin of the Force. So, yeah, with the Force, at, at towards the end of the story, uh, Cosmo ha- makes the discovery that in this, in this palace where the Farleans live, that there's a giant crystal that they've been using to absorb the force from all the slaves and that the slaves, you know, they've been building a a temple this whole time and, and the temple really serves no purpose. It's just to keep the slaves busy so that they can absorb their force into this crystal. And Cosmo kind of discovers that he can control this force and like immediately levitates up into the ceiling and like escapes through a vent. Yes. Yeah, and it's not as simple, you know, it's just getting the force crystal before this they had to trick the the Varleans that they had some a disease that had killed their their ancestors basically called the the Changa blood rot and you know by that that all leads to them basically escaping the planet uh in spaceships with this giant crystal that they stole and they're able to use the force through this crystal to move the red blood stars from the sky that uh, were forcing the planet to kind of be trapped. I had the Changa blood rot after celebration Anaheim pretty bad. Yeah. That's... And there's also stuff in the book too, about like the origins of the hut species, right? Like aside from the, the force important stuff, there's what are the huts? Where did the huts come from? So the Varlians, when they have, Babies, they lay eggs, and when the eggs hatch, they're in like a larval state. And apparently the larvae look like little huts. And as part of the slaves' plot to escape, they make this concoction that keeps the larvae from going into their little cocoon and metamorphosizing into the full-size bug people and something goes wrong and it like never wears off. So all the babies get stuck in this larval hut state, but they keep growing. So that in this story is where the huts came from. They're actually the larva of the Varlians that are now trapped in this uh, slug form forever. And they're, and they're mean and grumpy and selfish because they're, they're babies that never grow up. It makes sense to me. <laughs> right? Like, this book didn't happen, but not much changed, really. It's kind of the same thing. So, think of Zero the Hut. I mean, Zero the Hut is just a big baby. A baby with a feather on its head. Yeah. So, there's all of that, which is amazing and wild and would have been fascinating. But the thing that with Alien Exodus that everybody goes back to, understandably, right, is the book that they find that you, you mentioned called the human exodus that is part of the story of the alien exodus. What's the deal with the human exodus? So interspersed with the alien exodus story is the human exodus. And in the story, Cosmo uh, becomes like the assistant attendant to the Varlian governor's daughter, who when she lays her egg, she needs extra help. And throughout the story, she decides to teach him how to read. And because he knows how to read, he sends her to the library to get some great Varlian books. And while he's in the library, he discovers this book. 
the human exodus and he reads it and yeah this is when things get really crazy because it starts with the earth in the 25th century earth 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 where we are right now where you're listening to this podcast earth yes so cosmo is in the star wars galaxy universe reading a book that's talking about our earth in the 25th century and it goes on to talk about uh, among its leaders is a hacker called Dale Hender, who apparently is an ancestor of Cosmo Hender, our protagonist. And they talk about two other characters, Paxton Solo and his lover, Antonia Corelli, who is the pilot of the Ort Raider. If that's, you know, that's just the beginning here. So basically, Dale uncovers plans, it says, by the computers that control this society to begin force-feeding drugs to the humans to reduce their passions. Hmm, what does that sound like? What's wrong? Nothing, nothing really. I just feel that I need something stronger. If you have a problem, don't hesitate to ask for assistance. Yes, thank you. I'll be all right. Call and you would be correct because it goes on to say Dale has cracked the computer bank containing the number assignments. His is to be the first of the THX series, THX 0001. So THX 1138 world is starting, right? And he, he doesn't want anything to do with it. No, he does not want anything to do with it, partly because... Dale, it says, has traced his own genealogy through computer records going back 500 years. And because of this, he knows all about his ancestor, Curtis Henderson. Richard Dreyfus, American Graffiti. America is having a love affair with a movie, American Graffiti. Where were you in 62? Easily the best movie so far this year, New York Times. Sensationally funny, profoundly affecting, Los Angeles Times. A very exciting experience, Family Circle. Super fine, Time Magazine. Four stars, highest rating. By all means, go and enjoy it. New York Daily News. You'll love American Graffiti, rated PG. Author Curtis Henderson is the great... Great, 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 great ancestor of Dale Hender, who is the ancestor of our protagonist, Cosmo Hender. Which Cosmo Hender later is called the Skywalker. By channeling the Force through this crystal, he can levitate and the people grant him the name the Skywalker. So Richard Dreyfus in American Graffiti, is somehow related to... Anakin Skywalker, Luke Skywalker. <laughs> yeah. Curtis Henderson is the original chosen one, <laughs> which kind of fits because he was smart enough to stay out of more American graffiti. <laughs> Connecting American graffiti, THX1138, and Star Wars. Finally, at last. I wanted to do something challenging. And if I was going to write an origin story, for all these aliens, right, I also thought, you know what, there's got to be an origin for why in a galaxy far, far away and a long time ago, there are demonstrably human beings, right? You know, I mean, uh, uh, Luke and Han and Leia, they all hailed from different planets, but those are homo sapiens, right? You can tell at a glance that they are. How did they get there? Why are they there? 
Han was from uh, uh, he was a Corellian, which well, what's uh, where do you get the name Corellian? You get it from a last name like Corelli. That's a good Italian last name. It's so many little things that made me think they you know these are human beings. How do they end up in a galaxy far, far away a long time ago? And I thought. Wow, let's see what I can do to make for an interesting backstory. And if I was going to have human beings from Earth being the progenitors in the past of, uh, you know, uh, all the different human, not just humanoid, but human races we see in Star Wars, it just struck my fancy to grab from THX 1138 and particularly from American Graffiti and put, you know, um, Richard Dreyfuss's character uh, into the novel as Luke Skywalker's distant ancestor. Distant ancestor, even though he existed in the future of Luke, which is the fun of writing science fiction. Well, and we wondered, like, where where is Willow? Where's Indiana Jones? You know, where's E.T.? And I asked Robert about it. Back in 1995, uh, I kind of thought, yeah, it's science fiction. So Lucas had... THX 1138, his very dark dystopian science fiction work, because Star Wars, as I perceived it in 1995, was science fiction, not fantasy, and Willow, as I perceived it in 1995, was absolutely fantasy, not science fiction. I didn't want to mix those two properties. And, you know, in um, one of the later films, there's a space pod from uh, 2001, A Space Odyssey, sitting in the junkyard, too. You know, they did a lot of little, uh, I'm sure they were thought of as homages to various things. Yeah. And uh, that's all well and good, but uh, no, it just would have been a licensing nightmare. Even, even I have to say, if by that point they had uh, already shown us members of E.T.'s species, uh, you know, in, in the Senate in Star Wars. You know what's crazy, too? I always, for a while, I like the idea that American Graffiti actually was a science fiction movie, and it takes place in, like, the 1950s planet, like, like Star Trek episode where they're just permanently stuck in gangster times, that American Graffiti was actually in space, and it's always the 1950s there. It's almost like American Graffiti could be a show that, people in THX watch, <laughs> right? Like, oh, let's watch about the olden days on the surface and watch American Graffiti. You know, that is all kind of outrageous and kind of, you know, tying in this whole George Lucas universe, which is kind of extra crazy to think about. Just what, the year before this was when Super Live Adventure happened and we got like another version of combining all the George Lucas universes together. Yeah, with the, the little girl... The Blue Fairy was taking her through the worlds of George Lucas for one incredible live experience. But yeah, this is kind of the George Lucas super live adventure in science fiction book form, really. And this goes on to kind of further twist the story because as the, you know, the humans from Earth uh, escape, they basically fall into a wormhole and not only travel through space, they also travel back in time where the pilot Antonia announces to everyone that it is now a long time ago and they are in a galaxy far, far away. And there's stars and there seem to be some kind of wars going on. And, and the story kind of goes on for them, you know, to them landing on a planet, running into the Rodians who have a bunch of 
Biths enslaved and eventually after you know some action and trying to escape a starship full of Gamorians show up and honestly one of my favorite things about this is the idea of Gamorians with starships and flying in space and just not just wearing uh, fur pants and and uh carrying axes around like literally spaceships full of Gamorians is just I don't know I can't but it all kind of builds to Ultimately, the Varlians showing up and capturing all the humans and Biths and other races of aliens and kind of now going back to the beginning of the story we were just learning about in the alien exodus. And and these two kind of fold back on themselves and you realize that the Star Wars universe all started on Earth in the 25th century. So he writes all this. Right. And he just kind of lets his imagination go nuts, obviously. Zero feedback from Lucasfilm. And after all of that, it turned out that Ace wouldn't be able to use the Star Wars aliens. Um, if anything, they could use the unused kind of creatures and monster designs from Monsters and Aliens from George Lucas' book. And it kind of evolved into its own, in a way, original thing that really wasn't connected to the Star Wars universe at all. Well, they pulled the rug out from under me. Lucasfilm kind of went back and forth with a science fiction for a while and then said, you know, I'm not sure that we actually can carve off the alien races that had been seen in Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, uh, you know, the huts and everything. I don't know if we can carve them out, but we have this book that we did called uh, Monsters and Aliens, uh, George Lucas's Monsters and Aliens, which was a coffee table book of rejected designs and art for aliens that never made it to the trilogy. And how would Rob like to write a trilogy of novels? And this was going to be a trilogy, the Alien Exodus trilogy, I called it, uh, about those species. And I thought... Give me an effing break, right? Nobody's ever heard of these things. These are rejects, right? These are things that were never used. And at that point, I said, look, this isn't what I was promised. Uh, I've already written uh, 11,000 words of, um, of text for this, and I've already written an equally long outline, 11,000 words, right? Uh, or whatever the length of the outline was. And I, I, But no, I, I don't want to do this. I don't want to write something that isn't part of that particular galaxy far, far away and the story of how those aliens came to be a long, long time ago. So as far as I know, the sample chapters and outlines never left the New York office of um, a science fiction to make it over to uh, California and to Lucasfilm. But the idea kind of didn't die after he dropped out, the whole thing eventually became this thing called Lucasfilm's Alien Chronicles. And it was a trilogy of books by University of Oklahoma writing school professor Deborah Chester. It finally came out in 1998. And there's a quote in Star Wars Insider number 37, which came out, that it's the April-May 1998 issue them saying that the whole idea for Alien Chronicles came around the time that Lucy Autry Wilson, the then director of publishing for Lucas Licensing, 
was working on something, again, expanding on Monsters and Aliens from George Lucas. They just could not let that go. The article says Lucy thought it would be a good idea to create novels about some of the creatures, many of which were concepts that never made it into Star Wars. It would be important, however, to construct a new universe rather than attempting to work in the constraints of the Star Wars universe. So, yeah, they just went ahead with a whole new thing. These books came out. Terrell Whitlatch, who was already working on the prequels, did alien designs for the aliens for Alien Chronicles. They're available to find online. They're kind of amazing because it's that like mid-late 90s Terrell Whitlatch just going nuts alien style. And there's an audio version of these books, which were done by Tom Vagley, which is insane to think about because he was, you know, Mr. Star Wars radio dramas. And he did the fascinating, wild Raiders of the Lost Ark record version sound experience that we we interviewed Tom Vagley. That's episode 255. Go out there and find it's. That episode's one of our best episodes. I'd say that's one of our most underrated episodes. 255. That's a really good one. But this is May 1998. We're one year away from The Phantom Menace. I was at a peak Star Wars insanity level. I did not know about the Alien Chronicles. I knew nothing about this. No, by 98, it was episode one. (laughs) <laughs> was was all we were thinking about. And these alien chronicles were supposed to be, like we said, completely separate from Star Wars. But some of the species, the Vis and the, the Auron, weirdly, of course, made it into Star Wars stuff. The Unknown Regions RPG supplement book and Terrell Whitlatch's Wildlife of Star Wars book, which is awesome, have, both have references to some of the species from alien chronicles and the way andor is going i think it's only a matter of time before something from alien chronicles shows up in andor or somebody mentions something but just like how alien chronicles never really went away alien exodus continues to live because robert sawyer ended up publishing sample chapters his entire outline his story on how it all happened on his website right he posted it almost immediately in a way, right? He said 95. So, you know, it's been there for people to read for a long time. <laughs> and never got no. a takedown or a cease and desist or anything like that. Um, and I thought I might, right? You know, but I thought I put it up. Other people have been publishing fan fiction about the Star Wars universe, of course, and they still do to this day. This day. And I thought, what the hell, right? I did a lot of work. I was proud of the work. I wanted people to see the work. And so now it's, uh, what is it, 22 plus four, 27 years since I put that stuff up on my website in 1995. I was the first science fiction writer in the world to have a website, which is why I got the great URL, sfwriter.com, SF like in science fiction. <laughs> and uh, nothing but positive feedback. People find it by you know through search engines. They're not necessarily looking for me, but they're looking for Star Wars, fan fiction, or they're looking for one of the particular alien race names. It turns up, and I get uh, you know a, a trickle a fan mail uh, every every year uh, about the project. And people always seem delighted by the audacity <laughs> of, a, of adding all that Lucasfilm non-Star Wars stuff. And they just seem to think, you know, it, 
as I intended it to be, an exciting, fast-moving, hopefully emotionally involving action-adventure story. So it's like the crazy thing. It's like, boy, what would have happened if Alien Exodus would have come out? Boy, that would have been nuts if if American Graffiti and THX-1138 were worked into the origin of the humans in Star Wars, right? It's crazy. Boy, that never happened. Or did it? Well, and that's kind of the thing, like reading this, you know, there's moments where I'm like, well, this is ridiculous. And then a few minutes later, I'm kind of like, but is it really any more ridiculous than anything else? Star Wars. And in 95, why not? And even now it's kind of, it's interesting going back of just how in a way ahead of its time it is of, of really cementing this kind of idea of this like George Lucas interconnected universe thing which in 94 or 95 might have seemed crazy but now you know everybody wants to have that and everybody wants to do that everyone wants to be marvel you know he put a lot of thought into making it logical and you know he didn't put willow in there because he felt star wars was more sci-fi at the time in his mind and not fantasy and it doesn't sound like it was just in there to be shocking as much as it made a logical sense to him. And and I think if you're put yourself in the right mindset, it does kind of, you know, it's again, it's not any crazier than anything else. The whole story coming from earth thing. Yeah. It's wild and crazy, but there, there was a lot of stuff, you know, outside of quote, Canon, whatever star tours in general, you know, old British comics with the, from the, the data bank of R2D2 that were like, Stan Lee stories and stuff. The Christmas and the Stars album. How do you explain that? Indy and Han crossovers in the Star Wars Tales comics and stuff. But the Indiana Jones thing, and we've talked about this a lot, though, starts to get really, really interesting because there was the arc in Clone Wars. There was a crystal skull in the Trandoshan Wookiee arc in Clone Wars. C-3PO and R2-D2 show up on a wall in the Well of Souls in Rares of the Lost Ark. And now, what, just days ago, people freaking out because Indiana Jones's whip is frozen in carbonite in Luthen's antique shop in Andor. So people are like, oh, haha, what a cool Easter egg. But let's be real here. The Crystal Skull is in a Trandoshan trophy room, and Indiana Jones's whip is frozen in carbonite. So what is going on? And I still say that Governor Price in Rebels is Irina Spalko, Stalin's fair-haired girl. Well, we can't forget about the E.T. connection either. Like, that's that happened. The E.T. connection is cementing. That Earth exists in Star Wars. Because, again, haha, cool thing. When E.T.'s out trick-or-treating and he sees the little kid dressed as Yoda, home, home, haha, cool. But no, Phantom Menace takes it a step further and has E.T.'s in the Galactic Senate. So E.T. is part of Star Wars. So E.T. is a Star Wars movie. And E.T. is also a Jedi. Don't forget. You went on the ride at Universal Studios and you asked E.T. if he was a Jedi. What did he tell you? Yes. Somebody call Pablo. We've got facts. F-A-C-T-S. E.T. is a Jedi. E.T. is a Star Wars movie. But that begs the question, in E.T., 
Elliot has Star Wars figures and there's a little kid dressed as Yoda. It'd be one thing if in E.T. the Star Wars movies don't exist because they're real. They're not movies. But in E.T., Star Wars is a movie. So what happened? It all goes back to Alien Exodus. I still like the theory that George Lucas found a book from space that he based all the movies on. He found the Human Exodus book, the oversized giant, three times bigger than a human book, full of the backstory of the 21st century. And yeah, all his movies were in that book that Cosmo Hender read. This was a real thing that used to be out there on the internet that where Skywalker Ranch is was George Lucas found a book that was from space that was the story of Star Wars. And like parts of it were burned, so he had to fill in other parts with like, you know, mythology and stuff. But that he was writing from some space history book that he found where Skywalker Ranch is. I still love that story, and it makes total sense because of E.T. These are toys, these are little men. This is Greedo, and then this is Hammerhead. See, this is Walrus Man. And then this is Snaggletooth. And this is Lando Calrissian. See? And this is Boba Fett. And look, they can even have wars. Look at this. I'm so glad that I now know about Alien Exodus. And I'm kind of in shock that it took us so long to discover this. But yeah, Robert Sawyer really was... He was ahead of his time with this. And, you know, it's again, it's one of those things if you just kind of glance over it, like, aha, that's, you know, maybe that's kind of crazy. But it really is all everything he attempted to do has, as we said, has happened since then in other forms and other ways. And, you know, the idea that this could have came out in 95 is it's it's just really kind of amazing to think about what that world would have been like and would have would it have been a huge hit? Would it have kind of changed, at least in the book version of Star Wars? You know, would would there be would there be a THX novel <laughs> of like further stories of of the twenty fifth century? Like, yeah, what what would the world be like? I want THX novels. There should be. There's the novelization of THX one one three eight, which I, I'm ashamed that I've never read, and I need to correct that ASAP, but yeah, we can all like applaud what Robert Sawyer did and bless him for putting it out on the internet. Because if he didn't put it out on the internet and just slowly let people discover this on his website, we would, I don't think the world would ever know about alien exodus, the human exodus and the fact that earth is real Star Wars is real because E.T. said so. <laughs> and now you can go to bed at night picturing fleets of Gamorrean starships. And you'll never watch American Graffiti the same way again. You'll just keep looking to the stars. The next episode of Andor, Mon Mothma is going to go into Luthen's antique shop and there's going to be a jukebox <laughs> playing Fats Domino. Just wait. 
Yes, this cross uh, uh, cross fertilization of properties within a larger, which weren't even conceived of as a larger universe. They were just owned by the same company. Uh, I was pioneering with that. Now that you mention it, I, I should feel pretty good about that. Yeah. directed Jaws. In 1978, he directed Close Encounters of the Third Kind. In 1981, he directed Raiders of the Lost Ark. And now, Steven Spielberg brings us E.T. the Extraterrestrial. Universal Pictures presents Steven Spielberg's E.T. The Extraterrestrial. It's a Bespin Guard! Halt, strangers! Take us to Lando Calrissian! Follow me! From Kenner's Star Wars, the Empire Strikes Back collection. Action figures each sold separately. I'm Lando. Who's there? Han Solo on a mission with a rebel soldier. What's your mission? We're fighting the Empire. And we need your help. Han Solo, Rebel Soldier, Lando Calrissian, and Bespin Guard, each sold separately from Star Wars, the Empire Strikes Back collection, new from Kenner. And these last points, too accurate for sand people, only Imperial Stormtroopers are so precise. Okay, so everybody, you know the story with apple podcast reviews when you get done listening to this we would love it if you would go over there and write a little something nice about blast points if you listen on something apple it helps more people find the show maybe maybe it does i don't know but most of all it brings warm feelings to our hearts when we read your reviews and if you listen on spotify leave us a five-star review over there too and make sure you check out our website, blastpointspodcast.com. And you follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you're on Facebook, make sure you're a member of the Super Chill Group. And if you want to support the show in a different way, we got the Blast Points Army on Patreon, where we had our first Andor episode, where we're talking about episode four of Andor. Before we get back to talking about the Mothma Madness over here on the regular show side. And keep your eye on the Patreon because shortly after this episode comes out, we will release the full version of the conversation that you, Gabe, had with Robert J. Sawyer. So if you want to listen to that interview in its entirety, that will be over there for everyone on 
the Blast Points Army Patreon. You know, people are, find what I've said here intriguing. Go have a look at my website, sfwriter.com. I got 24 novels. The most recent one is actually about the Manhattan Project. It's called the Oppenheimer Alternative. But there's, uh, if you're interested in the alien books that are, that kind of got me this gig, very early on, 92, 93, 94, I wrote a trilogy, still in print, still available, uh, called, uh, the books were called Farseer, Fossil Hunter, and Foreigner. And uh, they're about an alien world where dinosaurs from Earth transplanted before the asteroid hit continue to evolve and have a, a, a sophisticated scientific uh, civilization. And if you want to get a taste of more of what Rob Sawyer does with aliens, have a look at that, uh, that trilogy. But that about wraps up number 330 here. The alien exodus. It's a wild, wild moment in Star Wars history. Glad we finally got around to talking about it. it's you know snoketoberfest has begun the alien exodus we we did it things are happening and the month of october has only just begun there's a lot left to come in this year we still got a lot more andor we got tales of the jedi it's still attack of the clones year we didn't forget it's coming back it's coming back with a vengeance soon you might have to be patient but it's gonna come back Triple hard. Before the year is done, we promise. We haven't forgot about Anakin. We haven't forgot about Padme. We haven't forgot about Obi-Wan. We haven't found, forgot about the Outlander Club. Maybe that's a hint of things to come. So, We've just spent some time on the little island with the old man blowing glass. And then we'll get back to, to the rest. The rest of the good stuff. So yeah, on that note, everyone... Thank you all so much for listening. We'll be back next week with another brand new episode. Because we, we can't take any more breaks anymore. Unless, like, we fall down a hole in the ground or something. <laughs> There's too much Star Wars going on to keep up with. But, yeah, thank you all so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. May the Force be with you. Goodbye, old friend. May the Force be with you. May the force be with you. May the force be with all of you.